Welcome to the Idea Fit Pro Show with your host, Sandy Todd Webster. Hello to my fitness family, and welcome to this new episode of the Idea Fit Pro Show. I'm Sandy Webster, Ideas Editor in Chief. Today on the podcast, I am delighted to welcome Nikki Anderson, who spent 20 years in the fitness industry as a personal trainer, entrepreneur, and subject matter expert on the business of fitness. In addition to owning and operating her unique training model at Reality Fitness for 19 years in Naperville, Illinois, Nikki was one of the earliest women leaders on the fitness event circuit to emphasize the importance of studying business fundamentals and running a tight, profitable model. She was named IDEA's 2008 Personal Trainer of the Year. What's so special about talking to Nikki today is that she's been outside of fitness for the past nine years. After selling her brick and mortar in 2012, she took on successive leadership roles beyond fitness that challenged her to problem solve on many levels. We'll get the benefit of her view on the fitness industry through the lenses of hindsight and learned experiences as the president and CEO of the Naperville Area Chamber of Commerce and as the director of the LEADS program at Benedictine University. Nikki is not only one of my favorite people from the fitness industry, she is one of my favorite people in the entire world. We've shared a lot over the years and she's been an amazing friend and sounding board. Stick around, I promise you'll learn a lot from our conversation. Nikki Anderson, my friend, are you ready? I am ready. I am ready. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> I, I want to get straight into it because I know how, how we are once we get going on great conversation topics. There just really are not enough hours in the day to cover everything. Agreed. Um, so for our listeners who are not familiar with your very storied history in, in the fitness industry, Please give us some background on your years in fitness as an entrepreneur and tell us about Reality Fitness, your brick and mortar business until you sold it in 2012. Sure. Well, first of all, I have to start off by saying I was born in San Diego. <laughs> Yay. Yay. But um, I've been in Chicago or a suburb outside of Chicago and Naperville for most of my life. Um, I was a stay at home mom and I had been home um, and was looking for the next thing that I wanted to do with my life. And one of the things that I kept hearing over and over with my, you know, coffee clutches, if you will, is women disparaging their body. Um, that, that really affected me. Um, it was every, all the time. That's all they talked about. Mm. Also, in addition to that, I had been an obese teen. And so I was very fortunate I, I joined Weight Watchers, which is interesting when it was just this normal program. It was portion control and balance, right? Just nothing crazy, just how to eat well. And so I lost about 50 pounds. And, um, and I think those two things came together. It was like the perfect storm. And I said, gosh, I wonder if I could have an impact. And so I was doing some freelance writing for children's magazines and my Publishers Weekly magazine came. <clears throat> And I couldn't tell you, I, I think it was a story about a personal trainer and I read it and it was like, the skies opened up, the angels sang and I go, oh, 
that's what I meant to do. Oh. <laughs> yeah, totally. And um, um, and I had met a woman a while back that had gone into personal training and lived in Atlanta. So I reached out to her and I said, tell me how you did it. And so I kind of followed her template that she gave me and I got certified and did a lot of reading, a lot of research. Obviously, you know, exercise science was not my background, so I wanted to be as well equipped as I could be. And uh, I, I worked with four prototypes before I actually opened up my business. And that I think was one of the best things I did because mistakes that had been made were made with these people that knew mistakes were gonna be made because I was I was new at this. And, uh, and it, I, I loved it. The following year, I launched my business. It was an in-home training business. And I did that for five years. Mm -hmm. It was very successful. Um, I was also writing a health and fitness column for the Daily Herald. So I think that really helped in building my business. And uh, yeah, I took my writing from the children's world, right, to the health and fitness world. And uh, I, my business continued to grow, but then I really started crunching numbers and going, you know, this is just not efficient. It's not a really good way to grow a business and make, make money. I'm spending more time on the road than I am with my clients. So I took the idea of the privacy of in-home training and created completely private training rooms. Every room was completely private. And that was really successful. Um, I'm, I opened up, I, I launched the studio in 98. And by the year 2000, I had uh, staff at 10. Um, I was speaking. I was writing. I think I pitched idea back in like 98, uh, 99 to start writing for them. And the lovely woman, I cannot believe I swore I'd never forget her name. Pat she Ryan. Gave, Pat Ryan. Oh, my gosh. She mm -hmm. gave me she gave me a chance to start writing. And that was kind of my foot into the, the health and, and fitness industry um, beyond Naperville, right? And and things just started happening. And um, I, I I loved it. I loved, you know, it was interesting because when I started, I, I loved being a great trainer, but I really wanted to be a good businesswoman. Like that was really important to me. And I noticed in the world of fitness, there weren't a lot of business women. There were a lot of you know, uh, um, aerobic instructors and and exercise, you know, um, uh, professionals, but there weren't a lot of business owners. And so I had met a couple in the industry and um, and and learned from them. Right. It's always about learning. And business continued to grow and the industry continued to evolve. I was very involved in my community, which I always encourage trainers to do. And. Around 2010, um, I have this this belief that if you don't get out of bed every morning excited about the day ahead, you, you need to do an inventory check. And around 2010, that started happening with me. I wasn't as excited to go to work anymore. And I know we'll, we'll talk about it later, but um, the industry was just changing. I kind of felt like I had done everything that I could do. And I think I was bored and I needed a new challenge. I love solving problems. I love fixing things. Um, finding solutions. And I really wasn't able to do that in my business anymore. I could have expanded it. People said, you know, you've got a great model. Maybe you should, you know, consider franchising. I, I don't want to do that. I you lose too much control, in my opinion. Um, so, it, and it, it just didn't sing to me. So I, um, I said, you know what, I need to move on to my next adventure, found a, a buyer for my business and got ready for the next chapter. So within a year after selling your business, which I think was around 2012, 
you were recruited to become the president and CEO of the Naperville Area Chamber of Commerce, Mm -hmm. which is the second largest in Illinois and really one of the largest in the country. Um, I I guess for for me, it seems like an unlikely transition, at least for most fit pros, to go into such a pure business environment at such a high level after being a fitness solopreneur. Um, What was that transition like and what learnings from running your studio all those years did you bring with you? And then on the flip side of that, what were some of the challenges you had to overcome in terms of bridging the gap? Um, In other words, what did you need to upskill on to get up to speed running the chamber? I, I, I love this question because I was very involved in the Chamber of Commerce the entire time I had my business. Um, I sat on committees. I was very engaged. I think I won Small Business of the Year Award one year. So I was very engaged. And I always used to tell trainers, get involved in your chambers. In our chamber here, no trainers joined. Well, they joined and then they quit after six months. So I was very, very involved in my chamber. I sat on the board of directors for a few years. Um, so I, I had, I knew what they did. They were an advocate for small businesses, right? And I loved what they did. They were the ones that made me feel like a professional through some of the classes that I took with them. So I had an idea of what a chamber was. I wasn't walking into an unknown entity. So that was, I think that was the, the first thing. The second was they, they had been through six CEOs in seven years. Uh, they were struggling when, when I, I came into the organization. So I think my reputation of having an understanding of the business, but really being engaged in my community, strong communication skills. I mean, business is business, really. Like if you own a fitness business, you're having to deal with the same crap that you deal with in any business, right? It's just maybe a different culture. Uh, it might be, you know, some circumstances might be different. The product or service might be different, but really business is business, you know, knowing your PL, knowing how to work with your team, knowing how to build a great culture, right? So those were things that I had had experience. And so it really wasn't a reach. And what was so interesting to me, there were parallels with my, uh, the chamber members and my clients in the fitness world. It was so interesting because a, a member would come in and go, Hey, you know, I've had my business for three months and I haven't had anybody call me. And immediately I went to my clients going, you know, I've been doing this for three months and I'm not ripped yet. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like this, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. And so I had kind of the same challenges with members that I used to have with my clients. So I had a great, great um, uh, understanding of, of the mindset that some of these entrepreneurs came into the chamber with. They thought they were going to come into the chamber and immediately by some miracle, they were going to have 5,000 people as their customers, right? The same way you join a gym, I'm going to be fit and thin in no time. Well, you got to do the work. <laughs> exactly. The, you have to, have to work for it. Right. And, and so how did you move those folks along? Just did you give them an understanding that this takes time? It's a process. doesn't happen overnight. To- yeah, I was able to use my experience in the health and fitness world, you know, going, there, there's parallels here, right? And so they'd like, oh, I never looked at it that way. I was very uh, upfront and honest with them. And and some didn't succeed. And I could kind of tell the ones who wouldn't just because they didn't want to do the work. And, and look, that's okay. But 
leave now before you spend more time and money doing something that you're just not willing to work for. Figure out what it is that you want to work for and sometimes redirecting them, right? Going, maybe you shouldn't be owning a business, but here's where your skill set is. Right. And this is what I used to do with my clients. You know, you said this is what you wanted, but you're not willing to work that hard. So let's figure out what we can do, what what might make more sense for you. And there, there were great conversations. I will tell you the biggest challenges that I had um, that I wasn't necessarily uh, well versed in, and that's politics. So when I initially took the job, I was told literally this much of your job will be politics. It was this much of my job. <laughs> And that was really, really, it was hard until I took the pressure off myself to think that I should know it all because nobody does, not even our legislators. <laughs> so, so it was, it was a really, it was a whole new world for me, but you know, uh, one of the sayings that I, I often use is, is life is politics, man. Right. And, and politics is politics. It's just trying to, um, to navigate these people that I didn't know and try and understand their world. And I, I, I did it. I think I did a really good job. I, I got to go to Washington, DC. I went to Springfield, you know, I mean, I did that a few times a year and met people I wouldn't have ever met, right? So taking, taking that, that leap of faith that, you know what, I don't know it all, but here's a great opportunity to learn something that I didn't know, right? And because of that, now I have a whole new perspective about the world of, of, of politics, right? Well, well done and and well said. Thank you. Um, And then the other was working with the board of directors. Um, But we had a very, uh, um, what's the term, apathy. So like, they they just weren't really me. They they weren't engaged. It wasn't an engaged board of directors. But the the, um, president or the chairman of the board, I said, look, there is so much work to do. Give me two years. Don't bother me and trust that I'll do the job. And that's exactly what they did. They trusted me to rebuild the chamber, to bring it into the 21st century. I did a capital campaign to you know, build our technology, which was very hard to do because I'm not a not-for-profit, right? I'm a business entity. So that was a challenge. Um, we rebranded. It was great. I hired new energetic people that brought new life into it. I completely redid my board, made it more diverse. So those were things that were really, um, it was it was what I love to do, right? To build things, build stuff. Pro- problem solve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the million dollar question for me is the one about looking in the rear view mirror. I mean, hindsight is everything, right? So with all you've done in the intervening years and seeing what's happened in the fitness industry since you moved on, because I know you keep tabs on social media and other things that are happening. um, I'm wondering if given the chance to change anything about your time in fitness, what that would be. Would you have run reality fitness differently? So... I'll answer the last part of your question first. No. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Every mistake I made, I learned from. Every mistake I made. And I and I there were plenty. Um, but it made me a better businesswoman. It made me a better human being. And so no, I, I wouldn't do anything differently. I'm, I'm I'm proud of what I did and the mistakes that I made were just, you know, first timer mistakes, rookie mistakes. Um I, you know, I would say that. My time in the industry, when I came into the, the industry, and I say this with all humility, I was ahead of my time because I was a believer that 
health was about health. It wasn't a gimmick. It wasn't a fad. It's like, be good to your body and your body will be good to you, right? Take care of your body, eat well, move, move as, as much as you can, um, respect your body. You know, that was always my approach. And I, I really did get that from the time when I had to, you know, get myself healthy. It was just very unsexy, which someone told me that, you know, the problem, Nikki, is what you do just isn't sexy enough. And I, I'm not in here to be sexy. <laughs> I'm here to make an impact, right? Here to make a difference. And so that that was always really frustrating for me um, because I was seeing, you know, I was having clients that I just needed them to get started, to start at point A, right? Where I saw trainers, not all of them, but some trainers starting at point H and you're like, dude, like they can't even get started and you're they're over here. How are they possibly going to sustain that, right? And so that was a challenge for me always. I always kind of felt like I was the nerdy one in the room, right? Because I didn't like the shiny objects. I love the practical stuff that I go, oh, now that's something my client could use. Oh, that would be something that is sustainable. Oh, I never thought about that. So um, yeah, I, I think I think in hindsight, um, I wish I would have been more vocal about my position and how I felt about that and maybe driven harder to be that voice of reality, hence reality fitness, um, but to be that voice. And so in 2000, I actually, I actually wrote a book called Reality Fitness Inspiration for Your Health and Well-Being. And it's so interesting, although the pros are really bad as I look back on it now, but the <laughs> idea is the same. Like there's nothing in there that I'm ashamed of. There's nothing in there that is, it's all timeless information, right? Everything that I'm telling you that I believed then, I believe now. So I think perhaps if I were to say one thing that, that I'd do different, it, it probably would have been maybe be more vocal and find ways to make the unsexy sexy again. I don't know. Yeah, you know, because those fundamentals are, they hold true, they're timeless, you know, so yeah. th things like... Um, you know, meeting people where they are, number one, not, you know, forcing them, a, you know, a, a, a round peg into a square hole um, right, and, right. and having them reach to overreach, um, just, you know, meeting them where they are. And then the fundamentals of nutrition, movement and behavior change. Yeah, yeah. And I just I think that more people would be successful if that was a consistent message. The problem is, is that it's not, you know, I'd have clients coming in telling me something that they, they read that they're smarter than me. And not that I'm smarter than my client. I don't want to insinuate that at all, but it's like, no, 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 no. And my favorite line to me was, well, I did that diet and it worked. I go, if it worked, we wouldn't be having this conversation, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because here they are jumping on something else. No, it doesn't work. What works is exactly what you said, Sandy. And that has been my philosophy from the day I started and it's how I take care of myself today. So. And I think those things will always ring true in fitness. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, moving, moving on, cause we just have, I have so many more questions for you <laughs> and the time is, is uh, tri trickling away. <laughs> um, so what key skills did you learn in your CEO role that you think are essential for fitness pros who are running their own businesses or who aspire to this? And you've covered some of these things already, mm -hmm. you know, 
basic business fundamentals, but um, what are a few more of those things and what do you think are effective ways to learn those skills? Um, I'm a voracious reader. And so that has always been, you know, my best method of of learning, right? Um, And when I was learning to be a businesswoman, I read every business book I could get my hands on. And the ones that resonated with me were the ones that I I pursued. So I'm a big believer in reading, learning about politics, right? I had the history of the United States. I so what does the Constitution say? <laughs> Not that I, I mean, okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I, I, those are things that I read because I wanted to know and I wanted to be better, right? And I wanted to be able to have great conversations with people and ha- know a little bit about what I was talking about. So I would say um, read as much as you can. And I also used to tell trainers when I'd lecture, don't just read fit- fitness um, information, right? I used to read Inc. Magazine and Entrepreneur Magazine and and for I mean, I read everything and anything that had to do with business and customers and service and all of that. And so I, I think that's really important for um, people to, to, to think about. Um, I would say, too, that something as silly as like knowing your numbers. I am not a numbers person, not because I'm not smart enough, but because they just don't interest me. Um, and I always tell that to women. It's not that you're not good at math. It's that it just, it's not your your thing. And so I'm a big believer in delegation. And as I grew my business, I had put systems in place, which that's another one, creating systems for your business. Even if you're just one, create those systems for your business, your HR, what's your training protocol like? Um, what, what are, what's, what are the, the rules of, of your organization, the mission, the vision, right? What, what kind of culture do you want to create? Because eventually if you're planning to grow, you're going to have to need all those things. So if you start planning it now, um, you'll be so far ahead of the game. So numbers was something I didn't love it, but I learned it and it, I, I didn't know it before. And that goes back to my reading, just basic business books, which always talked about no your numbers, be able to sit down anywhere and be able to read that PL, right? And I was able then to transfer that when I went to the chamber because I had a huge budget. So I needed to know how to do that. And fortunately, my business taught me, taught me how to do that. Um, so I, I, those are probably three things, systems, reading, um, oh, and mentorship. Mm. Find somebody to be your cheerleader. Find somebody to be that voice that says, you know, you can do this. You know, you can do this, right? And, and that I had, I had wonderful people in, in my world that I still do, right? That are the ones that when you're doubting yourself or you have that imposter syndrome or you don't think you can do it, that will just give you that little nudge that you need to say, go for it. I believe in you. Right on. It's a great transition to my next question, which is um, that today, um, you know, moving on to your next chapter in your career, uh, today you're in a key leadership mentorship role at Benedictine University there in Naperville. Um, if, If you could please bring us up to speed on the program you've developed there and what you hope to accomplish with it. Yeah, um, I was recruited uh, when I, I publicly announced I was leaving the chamber. I was recruited to Benedictine and and I was um, asked to give the commencement speech at Benedictine prior to when I was asked about this role. 
And I was sitting down with the president, um, Charlie, who he's just, he's great. And he says, you know what, Nikki? He's got this great accent. He's from Alabama. He goes, I have a vision. And I'm like, okay, I want a leadership program for women. And I think you're the person to do it. And I was like, I'm like all butterflied because I got to go out and speak to, you know, 2000 students. <laughs> and he's asking me about my next job. Um, and I said, well, Charlie, sounds great. <laughs> let me let me think about it. And long story short, obviously, I accepted the position. And that was the start of someone who believed in me. Right. Who said, I believe you're the perfect person. And I remember asking why me? And he said, great communication skills. I had a good reputation, which by the way, never burn bridges, no matter how angry you are when you leave a job, never burn bridges. Or if trainers leave you or you have somebody that leaves your business, never badmouth them, never burn bridges. So that's just sidebar. Anyway, um, and and it was communication and, and passion, right? And so I had the opportunity to come in to something that hadn't, hadn't even started to build something from nothing. So you see the common thread here, right? It's about problem solving. It's about building something. It's about uh, figuring out how to create, um, fill a need. And so for the university, they wanted a world-class leadership program for undergraduate women. So I have spent, <laughs> interesting enough, I was hired at the end of 2019, started on January 6, 2020, and three months later, I was out. Of, of the university, right? Because we're all working from home. But I, you know, the fortunate thing, because I was a business owner and had the opportunity, to, I, I, I was still working. I wasn't like, oh my God, what do I do now? I, I just, I just did what I, what I needed to do. And one of the things that I'm most proud of is while I was at home, I um, went on LinkedIn and started researching women who had like these amazing leadership roles. And I reached out to them and said, hey, I'm building this program. Would you be interested? Every one of them said yes. Mm. I have the most amazing senior advisory team. And so their support, along with, you know, some friends of mine that were cheerleaders, because the world of academia works very differently. I don't have a lot of people there to collaborate with. So I've kind of created this, this group of women um, that have been, and of course, President Gregory has been great. But um, yeah, I, there's so many skills that have just come through. It's, it's all connected. One of my favorite quotes from Steve Jobs is, if you look back and you see everything in your life, it's, they're all dots and they're all connected. You're where you need, you're, you're exactly where you should be. And when I look back, it's like, oh, that prepared me for this, which prepared me for this, which prepared me for this. And it's just kind of cool. So we accept our very first cohort. And this fall, 2021, we have 17 students, young women coming in. And, um, and I'm really proud of it and excited about it and nervous too, because it's all new. I'm just one day at a time. Well, that's fabulous. And congratulations um, on on building that from scratch. I, 
I'm I'll be watching to see what happens, and I want to hear all the stories about it. Um, I'm inter- I'm interested to know um, if you could draw a parallel to what you're developing with the Leeds model at Benedictine, um, how that could translate to the fitness industry, and again, with the benefit of hindsight, why do you think mentorship and leadership training among fit pros is so essential? Uh, you know, I I, I want to. I think that mentorship in any any industry is so important. Um, perhaps in the fitness industry, it might be a little bit different. And I say this with all due respect, there are a lot of people in that industry that know it all. And, and they're not asking for help. And so I, I would say it's at one point, no, I, I, I always needed a mentor. I think I've, I've always had a mentor. So um, I ha- I'm sorry, I have so many thoughts in, in my head. So let's talk first about how the model of what I've done with Benedictine could perhaps trans- translate to the world of fitness. It, a large part of the program is giving women voice, giving them um, the opportunity to discover and connect with their voice to be true to themselves and to be able to go out after four years and be able to impact the world um, in, in ways that maybe they hadn't thought about before. The other crucial piece of this is a mentoring program. So I have a peer-to-peer mentoring program for the first three years and then senior year and post-graduation, they have a senior mentor. Let's mm-hmm. think about post-graduation, right? When you're having to negotiate your, your first contract, right? Or the your, like all of those things or issues that you're having at work that you never experienced when you were at university. So the mentoring program, I think, is going to be key. So that now that connects with the second part of your question is, do we need more mentorship opportunities in, in the health and fitness? Yeah, I think people need to ask. Because one of the things that I will never forget, I had finally been accepted to be a speaker at IDEA. And I got invited to the uh, pre-party, you know, where all of the, the fitness, you know, experts, speakers, guru, I mean, all these amazing people, right? And I tell Sherry this story every time I see her. And she goes, I know, I know, thank you. But I walked in that room and Sherry McMillan came up to me, grabbed my hand, and said, I'm Sherry. And I'm like, I know who you are. (laughs) And she took me around the room and introduced me to all of these people that I had watched from afar, that I had attended their lectures. They were so kind, so Mm -hmm. kind, right? And um, I think sometimes we're so in awe that we forget to say, I want to learn from you. And Sherry was great. I mean, there were so many people. I mean, Len Kravitz, right? Len, he's amazing. Jay, um, there's just so so many people. And they really helped mem- mentor me. And I don't think I ever would have asked had I not been um, in that role. So I think sometimes as students that are attending it, if you see, I, I know that that it's changed and there's you know so many other speakers, but just my my dear friend Fred, right? We'll say Fred speaking. And I'm a student. I'd feel so intimidated to go up and say, I want to learn from you. 
But do you know how honored I, I still have students, Mike Robinson. I mean, I, um, there's another woman, she's in Canada and she always says, thank you, my mentor, Nikki, and she's killing it in the marketing world. Like they asked, they, they did ask, but very few asked. So um, I think we need to create an environment that, that maybe is something more structured to say, hey, if you're, you know, maybe ask past winners of the idea, the, you know, the trainer, personal trainer of the year, instructor of the year, inspiration of the year, like ask those people, would you be willing to be part of our mentorship program? That could be so powerful. Like somebody calling Todd Durkin, right? And Todd, he'd be all over it. <laughs> and he was always like that, right? You could go up and talk to him anywhere and he would give you his quarter's worth. Yeah, we we do have such a, a generous industry. Um, yeah. You know, people people do want to give back. I mean, we, everybody in this industry are givers anyway. So um, it and and it's true to not um, feel so. You know, you, we put these people on pedestals, and you know, in a lot of cases, rightfully so. But they are human beings, and they started where you are too. So, if you're listening, and there's somebody you always wanted to meet, just reach reach out to them because this is a, it's a very giving industry, and I I encourage the the reach out to other pros who really, we need to bring the next generation along, um, and we're all about lifting other people. Completely agree. Completely agree. It's not that there aren't willing mentors. It's just nobody knows how to ask or if they, they you know, yeah, they don't know how to ask. It's Or, or if it's proper or. Right, right. Know. And they'll be amazed. I mean, I could go on with the people that I was so intimidated. And then when I met them, they were like, oh, they were great. <laughs> they were great. Right. And to your point, they're human beings, too. Have they worked hard? Have they, you know, maybe done some of the things? But I'm going to bring up Mike Robinson because he was always in a lot of my lectures. And I have just watched that young man work and work and work and work. Tony Kress, I remember him coming to one of my book signings and, you know, like, I love the work that you do. And I've watched him build his business. And especially amongst this, in this pandemic, these two guys are, you know, I follow them because I, you know, I, I remember having great conversations with them. But they're doing amazing things, and, yeah. and they 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 did the work. They asked for the help, and so yeah, I have a I have a, a quick sidebar funny story about Mike Z Robinson. Um, yeah. The first time I ever met him, um, Amanda Vogel um, of Active Voice. Uh, she's one of the she's been an author for idea or had been for many years, and she Great. she brought Mike to um, he actually crashed the presenter party, the first one you ever went to. And um, he wanted to meet specific people. And so um, he 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 wanted to meet me, which was, I mean, just so awesome. But who the person he really, really wanted to meet, ironically, you, you mentioned Sherry McMillan. He wanted to meet Sherry. And so I brought him over. I introduced him and he, you know, beside himself. But um, yeah. 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 And he yeah. just like you said, following his progress and just the progress of so many pros in the industry, right. but Mike specifically just celebrated 10 years yeah. um, of his um, MZR fitness up in Santa Barbara area. Yeah. And um, he's he really is just crushing it up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's going to be on really soon on the on the show. Oh, here. Great. So Tell him I said hello. I, I sure will. <laughs> I will. So. 
Moving along, I mean, just really so much more to unpack. Um, In our pre-interview brainstorm, I propose that we look at the dynamic of being a powerful woman in business and leadership. And you responded very thoughtfully that you're more of a proponent of the idea of empowerment for women in business. So um, if you would, can you take us deeper into your thoughts about that and explain how empowerment unfolds for women? How empowerment unfolds. I think I'm going to go back to what we were talking about earlier, and that is having a really great support system, having that cheerleader, right? I think it starts there because we can't feel empowered unless we do something that we're afraid of and we do it and finish it, right? It could be something small, right? It could be walking your first 5K. It could be applying for a job. Um, or applying for personal trainer of the year, right? Um, and, and so we are not necessarily empowered to do something. We are empowered by doing something. This is simply my opinion. And I know that every time I was afraid to do something and, you know, a mentor or a friend kind of gave me that nudge and I did it and I finished it. I was more empowered. The more empowered that we become, the more likely we are to be vocal, the more likely we are to take those risks, the more likely we are to go for that, that, that new job or that, that, um, that, that uh, recognition that you might not. I see this over and over and over with women is they just don't speak up. They just don't. And um, people call it, well, it's just lack of confidence. And I say it's a lack of trust in themselves, right? They don't trust that they'll be able to do this. And we've read the statistics about, you know, women, if they don't have all 10 of the requirements for a job, they won't apply. Men, they just need three and they'll apply. I, I, I mean, I took on this role and I didn't, I don't know anything about the world of academia, but because I've been empowered over the years through taking risks, through support of friends and mentors, I'm like going, okay, what's the worst that can happen, right? What's the worst that can happen? And so I, that's something that I really like to see more women do is, is have those people in their corner so that they're willing to take, so that they'll, they'll take that risk. And, and when they realize I can do it, then they're going to be more empowered to each time that they they do something like that. Does that make sense? Totally. It hits home for me. And I'm sure many women listening today can relate to these thoughts and examples. And that leads me to the question of, of how you believe women in this industry can lift each other up. We talked about that a little bit already. Um, give each other opportunities, mentor each other, and advocate for each other. Um, and then... Yeah. I'm, I'm famous for my two-part questions. So um, can you, on the tail end of that, can you also speak to the conundrum of why you think there aren't more juicy career opportunities for women in an industry that's largely female-driven? I mean, why do you think that is and, and what actions could or should be taken to change that paradigm? That's actually okay. a, th- a three-part question. Sorry. Yeah. So if I start going off on a tangent, reel me back in, sister. Okay. <laughs> um, so... I think I will, I'll start with the last one. Why are there not enough juicy roles? Um, you know, when I look at the in- industry, you know, I, I mentioned two men, which is <laughs> that, that have gone on to do, you know, their careers going great. And I'm sure there are 
thousands more doing really great things. But when my when I was in the industry, I knew so many men that were killing it, that were doing really great things. Women were coming out of the aerobics world. They didn't really have the respect. And I think it's, if you look back at the industry 40 years ago, it's a man's world, man. Look who owned the health clubs. Look, I remember going to Ursa for the first time and I'm like, where's the women? <laughs> right. And, and one of my favorite stories to share is I had gotten a flyer for a business workshop and it was six men and I called them and I go, where are the women? I'm a business owner and I would like to see another woman. And he goes, well, you want to do it? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I, but you know what? While they paid for all these guys, you know, airfare and rooms, they didn't do that with me. I did make them pay for my room, but they didn't pay for my airfare. Um, but that's how I met Ryan Lee. We were both brand new in the industry. Right. So I would say that um, it's it's changed dramatically now. Women are owning their own studios, whether it's yoga, Pilates. I know that there are small gyms that women are owning, which are awesome. But I would say that it's traditionally been a man's world. And like everything else that we're dealing with, with, you know, inequities and equality, I mean, it's we just have to keep pushing forward. Um, I would love to see more women in business opportunities for women in the health and fitness world. Uh, that wasn't around when, when I was there. The unfortunate thing about the world of fitness is that because there's such a small pool of women that are at higher positions, it's very competitive. So it's not necessarily friendly. Uh, so women, then there was a core group of women that supported each other, but more that didn't. It was all about who was doing better, who was looking better and all that crap. And I'm not even going to that. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say that um, it would be really nice to see more opportunities <laughs> for women in business through um, whether it's, it's an organization, whether it's going back to the mentorship thing, right? But we need more opportunities for women to have conversations, to sit around a table and talk about how can we support each other? Because traditionally, this has been a man's business. And now that we're all making our way, it's time to stand up and support each other and, and learn how we can be better advocates for one another. Amen, sister. Yeah. Okay. And I know I missed, probably missed one, but... Um, no, that was a that was good coverage there. Thank you. Okay, sweet, sweet. Um, so as we as we wind it up, I just want to say no, that, no. that, that <laughs> I know we could we're Libras, we could gab on and on and on. Um, and you have you have so many just great insights and ideas. Um, I really hope listeners at home, you've either bookmarked this conversation or you've taken really good notes. Um, so. Nixter, if you can bring us home with any final thoughts, um, and then also by telling everyone where they can reach you, either through your website or on social mm -hmm. media feeds, um, and, yeah. and everyone just know that I will add that information to the show notes. But um, Nikki, if you would provide that, I'd appreciate it. So for the women listening, I remember when I was teaching one of my classes and we were talking about money and women, and I asked what the women in there charged, and they all raised their hands. And there were a few men in there and I asked what they charged. The women charged about 40% less than the men were charging. Wow. And that may have changed now, but this was, this was then. But I know I have women asking me all the time, oh, should I ask for that much? Yes, yes. If you don't value yourself, who is going to value you? And if you have people leave because they don't wanna pay you that much, 
you're going to find the people who value you and are willing to pay that. Get paid what you're worth, period. That's my parting thought. Okay, how you can get a hold of me? <laughs> you can uh, reach out to me at Nikki at NikkiAnderson.com. That's my email. And I feel free to email me with any questions um, that you might have. Also, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I'm not really active on Facebook. I'm kind of active on Instagram, but I'm nanderson61 um, on Instagram and on uh, LinkedIn. I just look up Nikki Anderson and I'd love to to connect with you and follow you and, um, and watch the amazing things that you're doing. Thank you, Nikki. This has been absolutely incredible. Um, you have, you have such passion and you just ooze it. It's wonderful. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing so much wisdom and for carving some time in your day to, um, to spend with us and, and share these, these pearls of wisdom. Um, you are an amazing colleague and friend, and I love you so much. Love you dearly. Yeah. Love you dearly. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. This was so fun. We could talk forever. We could talk forever. (laughs) All right. Love you, girl. Take care. Okay. Love you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed catching up with Nikki Anderson today. I think you'll agree she is a wellspring of great ideas and inspiration. If you're looking for more idea content or want to learn more about membership or events, visit our website at ideafit.com. We also host the Listen and Learn CEC podcast, the fitness industry's first and only audible CEC program. Each episode contains information from our award-winning fitness journal that has been approved for one CEC by more than 25 certification agencies. You can subscribe to both the Idea Fit Pro Show and Idea Listen and Learn CEC podcast on your favorite podcast apps. Check the show notes for these details and other resources mentioned in today's episode. This is Sandy Webster signing off. Until next time, stay positive and keep inspiring the world with your special magic. Don't ever forget that you make a huge difference in the lives of others and that idea is here to support you in this critical purpose. Thanks for all you do to make the world a happier, healthier place. See you soon.